Welcome back to Pewology. This is a show where the people in the pews get to weigh in on a whole bunch of issues. We've already started this thing. Hadn't even we hadn't even intro. We already started this thing. All right, so there's a thing. Hold on. I just want to know this just because I'm interested. So you said popcorn lung? Yeah, I don't claim to be a scientist. Well, even if you, it would be great if you do it. I mean, slept at a Holiday Inn last night. <laughs> but no, no, no. It's called popcorn lung because the inside of your lungs look like popcorn after vaping for a while. That's a real thing. It's a real thing. The, the vape, I, I, I saw it on vape, Google. And I like popcorn. That's why I never got into it. Yeah. But I thought the vaping was supposed to like be better than smoking. As far as the tar goes, but... The tar, the carcinogens, all of that. Yeah, yeah. There's, there's benefits, but there's also some drawbacks. I'll tell you what's better than smoking vape. Smoking nothing. Oh, snap. He's putting, right. he putting it on you right now. Man. Breathing that air. That air. Breathing that fresh air. Yeah. I don't even know what fresh air tastes but, like. <laughs> do you consider it like... Um, do you consider it like a thing where like, okay, I've gotten rid of smoking by doing this? Absolutely. Oh, okay. So it's like, like I'll smoke a cigarette right now and like I will get sick. Oh, really? So sick. Oh, yeah. Why? Just because you haven't smoked in a long time? Mm-hmm. How long has it been since you smoked? More than a year. Really? No. I smoked one. I smoked a cigarette probably a couple months back and it was like. What, what makes you smoke? Like certain social settings? Social settings, yeah. Yeah, if, if a bunch of people around you are smoking, yeah. you're like, okay, pop me one of those. Mm-hmm. You know, listen, I have such limited experience with, with cigarettes. When I was like in eighth grade, my – like this is a hilarious story. Kind of this, this, is a, this is a good story. It's true. Uh, I was in eighth grade, and this guy that was sitting next to me in like one of the classes was like, hey, man, I can get you some cigarettes. And I was like, well, dang, let's do this, right? Because, I mean, like in eighth grade, <laughs> I had never had a cigarette. I was like, that sounds cool, right? And – um, he's like, I'm going to need 12 bucks. And I was like, okay, 12 bucks. Got it. Now this is like 1987. So 12 bucks was probably, uh, probably more than one cigarette. Bro, I think I was your friend. Where did you live? So he brings me these cigarettes and he, and at the, at the time, I don't know anything about cigarettes. So they're Virginia Slims. There's these long thunder. He stole them from his mom. Exactly. I didn't realize it till later. Like much like, like when I was in my twenties, I thought back and I'm like, oh, that guy just took him from his mom and sold him to me at school for you weren't at the bucks. bar like at thirty no. years old smoking Virginia Slims going. No. <laughs> smoke, oh, I to smoke? <laughs> this is a true freaking story. I was just like, what, what? And then boom, it just hit me later in my my twenties or something, my thirties. I was he like, that's what twelve dollars for bus fare and a dime bag of weed. That's what. Yeah, yeah. He was he was probably upgrading. Yeah, he was probably <laughs> upgrading. I was like the idiot that would buy them. Right, mom cigarettes. The Cadillac of cigarettes. When's the first time you had a cigarette? Uh, Probably like eleven, ten, eleven, something like that. What are you? Kindergarten? Nah, (laughs) twelve. I was like twelve or thirteen. Yeah, yeah. 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 Did you go up around here? No, I grew up in uh, in New York. Mm. Yeah, and and the first cigarette I had was a Parliament Light. Nice. And I'll never forget. We smoked it just to get a head rush. We heard that if you smoke and smoke and smoke and smoke, you know, just puff and puff and puff right. and puff and hold it in long enough right. that you would get, you know, you would get a, a, a head rush and like fall over. And that made me excited. That was maybe 11 years old or 12 years old. Yeah, something like that. They did it right behind my temple. At like middle school age is yeah. crazy, right? It is crazy. Like the things that we want to do. Yeah. And that's why my 13 year old son, when he says things, it really, it takes me back and I'm like, oh my God, I hope he's not turning out like me and being stupid like I right. am. Right. Yeah. 
Did you? I did. You guys. Uh, I mean, we don't have to get into it too deep, but I'm, I'm guessing you guys have some connection through recovery. Did you? Go, did you go through a whole like cigarettes was the door, and then it went through a whole thing? Is that what you look back on and say now? Definitely was my first. Um, my first. My introduction to something that had changed the way I feel physically yeah. and, and it made me feel cool too to smoke those cigarettes at 13, 14, a little party. My introduction outside. was weed. It's like yeah. weed. And then they're like, oh, and you got to smoke this too afterwards. Yeah. It's like to give you a little boost. I was like, oh. The weed was a boost? No, the weed was first and then the cigarette. Uh, it was like, I didn't, I, I was like, what's the point of smoking a cigarette if you're already getting high off the weed? They're like, oh, it gives you a boost. I'm like, all right, that's, that's what got you in. I was like, I, yeah, they're like, it's like you want you like that feeling being high. I'm like, yep. It's like, well, this gives you a little bit more. And you <laughs> said yes, because Axel's like that kid that'll just try anything. I think for me, it, like, it, I I wasn't a I wasn't a big drug user. I'm not trying to put myself in your guys' category of any way, stretch of imagination, or pretend to be something I'm not. But the but but going back to eighth grade and cigarettes, it was the hey. You're not supposed to do this. Nobody else has this. It, I don't. Wh- why in middle school is that so appealing? Why is doing something that you're not supposed to do so appealing? Uh, it never stops in middle school for me. <laughs> you know, it still gets me excited. I didn't even so think it was middle school. I think it was more like elementary school. Like just, I mean, because you're an overachiever. Yeah, just want to <laughs> just want to do things that you're not supposed to do. I know. What is that? What is that in us? That you just desire, like the second they say no, like don't touch the wet paint. You're like, okay, okay, okay. You well, you're a pastor, right? Yeah. So you know what it is? It's Satan. Right? It's not even. I'm not even Christian. I know it's, it's the devil. Yes. Oh man, did you grow up? Uh, uh, did you grow up uh, Orthodox Jew? Did but you, not did you practice? Did you practice or not? We practice a secular version of Judaism that you would find common in in did secular to, people in New York. Come, you do any of this? Yeah, yeah. For the high holidays, for okay. my bar mitzvah, gotcha. leading up to my bar mitzvah. But uh, you know, there was no spiritual aspect to it my father never taught me and neither did the temple itself they didn't convey a spiritual aspect to it so i I was never introduced to a spiritual experience until until i started doing this until you started and that was very recent too in recovery yes so would you say that up until recovery it was more cultural like you were culturally jewish yes culturally jewish and ethnically jewish and with the traditions jewish but in terms of won't get any tattoos yeah, I don't oh, really? Get, yeah, no tattoos, oh, yeah, yeah. of course, no tattoos. Well, yeah, absolutely. You know, I like so, kosher food. Yeah. You, you uh, die off dope, but you won't get no tattoos. <laughs> <laughs> That's true. Like, I'd snort dope some... before I eat bacon. Uh, do you not eat bacon <laughs> no, today? I'm about to bacon. say, man. That's, say, a, that's yeah. a tough My mom is not, she's not going to listen to this. No, don't. She's not going to hear No, fine. It's fine. She won't get a hold of this. But yeah, bacon would be hard to give up. Really tough to give up. Yeah, that would be tough, man. Yeah. Bacon would be like. Uh, yeah, I mean, I, I don't know. Food crazy. restrictions. I, I just can't do it. You can't do it. Like you couldn't do any food restrictions. I don't think so. Like some of the food restrictions are great. Like don't eat a camel, right? Like okay. don't eat a what? A camel. Don't eat a camel, right? I mean, that sounds like that sounds right. I mean, yeah. I mean, I'm right. Sure, right. I'm sure. I, mean, like, I don't even dogs. know that's a rule. Is that I, a rule? That's a rule. Oh, okay. That's a legit you know. rule. I mean, okay. I'm sure they like that's a restriction you follow. Yeah, I guess. You're like, but I don't want to. Maybe I mean, camel jerky's good. I mean, Maybe. probably. <laughs> is this a PG thing? Can we say camel toe here? Or yeah, no? you can yeah. say whatever you need. Okay. In fact, that's the reason. <laughs> split toe. That's yeah, what. Yeah. The, that's what the pinto Loving said. Hooves? Yeah, split toe. Oh, you can't split is. toe. But okay, so hold on. Let me. Let... <laughs> Are you saying you? Uh, do you have any food restrictions in your life at all? I don't think so. Have you ever dieted? 
I mean, I have dieted, but have you ever fasted? Yeah. Yeah. How long? What's long as long as you you fasted? At least twenty four hours. Minimum. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> by choice. Forty eight hours. Yeah. At least I slept one night without eating. <laughs> no, no, no. It, like we did this like whole like I think it was like youth group thing. Okay. We we did a twenty four hour fast. That was probably the longest. I so ever this had fast. nothing to do with crystal methamphetamine. No, absolutely. You actually fasted by choice. Yeah. Wow. Who's into Christmas? Christmas meth. I mean, it's like, who knows? <laughs> How many hours you fast? It's like, due to drugs. Yeah. Uh-huh. Bread to- and water. <laughs> yeah. Due to drugs. I mean, I mean, when I first came into recovery, I think I had a 32 waist. Wow. What? Yeah. I was. You were a svelte. When you, when you, whoa, 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 whoa. Okay, so you're. I saying- wore a size 32, 30 pants, Wait. and I wore. A large shirt. But, okay. <laughs> whoa, whoa, whoa. So are you saying, how long you've been in recovery? Five and a half years. So are you saying that, like, before recovery, the, the drug use was so intense that you just, like, it was like its own? Yeah, Like, absolutely. metabolism, diet, crazy lifestyle. That absolutely. You just- I mean, I ate during addiction, but, like, I also worked at UPS at night. So, like, they loved me on crystal meth because I could load... 1,400 packages an hour. <laughs> oh, I got you. So that just kept you going. Kept oh, you yeah. Jamming. No breaks. And so as soon as you hit the – as soon as you got into recovery, that hit the brakes on all of that. You oh, got yeah. Back it was like and, hitting a brick wall like because it's like I started gaining weight fast. Really? And then I met Crystal at 90 days, and then I was just like – Crystal's who? So it's her fault. My ex wife. Ex wife. That's a human. Crystal's that's a human. human. That's a yeah. human. Oh, we're talking about like, the human crystal. How about he was giving the, <laughs> the human? He's like, then I'm a crystal. He went from crystal to crystal. <laughs> Facts. Oh, man. Okay, so five years. Do you, okay, so it can, well, you, you guys draw the line wherever you want about the personal questions. Um, but five years, five years clean. Uh, and then how, so how long do you go now between um, some sort of recovery activity, whether it's a group, whether it's some sort of journaling, whether it's some sort of like, you know. I mean, I also, I also work in the field of recovery. So, yeah. I mean, it's a daily thing. Yeah, that doesn't count. I mean, that doesn't count? Okay, so. Yeah. You get like, like, just because you're like, telling other people to go to recovery doesn't mean you're doing it. Yeah, but, like, but, like it's, but he's talking about altruistic movement, you know, the like doing it because you want to, yeah. not because you have to or yeah. you get paid for so, it. So, I mean, I make a couple meetings a week, so. Okay. Yeah. yeah. And and, and in, that, in that style, that, like, that, like, season, or I don't know how I want to say this, that, like, routine of a couple meetings a week is, like, if you got if you got to like one meeting a week, or if you got to you were doing one meeting a month, would you get worried? I think so. Really? Yeah. So that that routine helps you to stay. Focused. Absolutely. Yeah. Helps Absolutely. You stay yeah. Yeah. How about you? So, my routine has been um, changed up, and uh, I do one meeting. I chair a meeting on Wednesdays, and then um, I try to. Go to a twelve o'clock every day, but if I don't make it, I don't make it. Um, but I routinely do a prayer and meditation in the morning and at night, and like whenever um, it becomes a pot, like glaring in my life, it's like basically I got to do an inventory. 
Mm. I do it because I'm lazy. I don't always like doing an inventory. Right. So like, basically, whenever I'm like, I feel like I'm so full of myself because um, it's more like, why do these things keep happening to me? Whenever I ask that question, I'm like, I guess it's time to do an inventory. Mm. And yeah. it usually it happens like every like between two or three days. I'm like, why am I feeling like this? I'm like, oh, it's because I let these problems pile up on me. Right. You know. And then is it until I do the inventory and I'm like, well, I guess it's because I guess stop playing God. Like God do what God does and be patient, like what you talked about. It's like mm-hmm. story of my life, man. It's like I'm impatient. <laughs> I want things to go my way Facts. so bad. Yeah. Yeah. How long you got clean? This is the longest I've ever been clean in my entire life. Okay. I'm 47 years old, and I've been clean for seven months. Nice. Congratulations. And so it's a big Very accomplishment cool. for me. Congrats. Yeah. And every day I wake up, and I'm like, holy cow, I'm still sober. Wow. Yeah. It's got to feel like, uh, I mean, at this point in your life, you get to midlife, it's got to feel like, holy cow, this is still very It does. It feels like, fresh. holy cow. It feels like, like- I'm living a new life. Like I was truly reborn. Like who, who was that other guy in that life yeah. that I was living? Yeah. It's very strange. It's a strange feeling, but it's also an amazing feeling. You got close family? Many. Do they, So they've known you most of the time as in Always and out of addiction? Supported. Yeah. And yeah. so like, how do they feel about it now? Uh, are they believing it yet? Are they reserved? No, they, they, they definitely believe in it. Okay. And, and they're uh, so loving that, you know, they were never going to leave me at any point and they've been so supportive almost right. to my detriment, right? Almost to my detriment, their, their support, their unwavering support. But uh, because, you know, I'm 47 years old, so I'm not exposed to my family the way I was when I was younger. I live here in Orlando. A lot of my family's either in South Florida or in New York. Right. So I don't get to see them often, but they know the difference. They see the difference and they're just happy that I'm alive and I'm sober. Yeah. You know, so I don't think they question, you know, I'm not having those stories where they don't trust me if I leave the house. Uh, There's nothing like that. Okay. But But you do look back and see moments in the relationship before where you're like, man, their love for me was almost enablement. Like they almost, they, they totally, yeah. Not totally. that you're blaming them. I'm not saying that. No, not saying, at all. You're almost like, Hey, it was a cycle problem. Like nobody knew what to do and they loved me enough yeah. to give me a leash long enough to hang myself. Yeah. The faster we can crash and burn, I think. And the faster that we can get to whatever the bottom is for, for a particular person, the better we are, the better yeah. off we are. I don't think a lot of people realize that. Yeah. Well, you know, you, it's hard to realize that until you're on the other side of it. Yeah. You know, because as you're beginning to burn your life down, yeah. you certainly don't want to burn it down anymore. And your family doesn't want to see you suffer. If your family loves you, they don't right. want to see you suffer. However, we only reckon there's a lot of things that we can't be aware of until after we've had the experience. Absolutely. You know, so many things like that. Yeah. You know, and I run into parents all the time that are dealing with kids that are that are, you know, either in a pattern of addiction or they've started using or whatever it is, and they're doing all these things to mitigate all the outcomes. And in, you know, now a couple of years go by, it's getting deeper and deeper and they're starting to hear me say, you got to let them bottom yeah. out. And they look at me like, I they just can't do it. I'm, that's crazy. That's I just, what I I, you got to let them sputter out. Yeah. Yeah. You got to cut it off. You got to cut off the gravy train, let them sputter out, let it figure it out. But that's, that's the hard part as a parent is to negotiate where to inflict right. your will on them and right. where not to. And that right. goes to the serenity prayer. And every time I'm talking to my son or dealing with yeah. my son, it's a serenity prayer. And I don't yeah. know exactly where the wisdom is that I have 
you know, to make the decision as to whether or not it's something that I should, you know, inflict my will upon him or force him to do something or just let him learn to fail and yeah. then recover from that. It's really, really difficult spot to negotiate. Yeah. I mean, that's for everything, Everywhere. right? Yeah, and uh, yeah. Whether, you, whether it's been a pattern of addiction or not, you're constantly banging your head against the wall going, am I doing the right thing here? Am I doing the right thing here? Right. You know? Yeah, but, and with every kid, it's probably different too. Absolutely, yeah. absolutely. But yeah, that's got to be. I mean, you have half the kids in the world. So I know. I've you got probably way, better than all of us. Listen, I got way too many. Way too many. How many kids you got? Three. Yeah? What's your, what's your technically, they're three. What do you mean, Ted? Genetically. Because, yeah. well, because, is that the I ones mean, you know about? Because, like, I would say to have a child is, like, to be able to raise them. Oh, uh, okay. You know? Yeah, you, you, you've, you're the biological contributor. Yeah. To three. Yeah, they came from me. Yeah, but they're not out of your life. They're in your life. They're just not Somewhat, present in, yeah. in, you know, in your house. And yeah. those kids love you. They love you to pieces. Yeah. Yeah. You're a lovable kind of guy. Yeah, I would hope yeah. so. Yeah, yeah, he is. Yeah, yeah. Um, what what you guys were talking about earlier was like um, all the times my mom enabled me like was detriment to me. But like I thank my mom now for all the times she kicked me out, you know, and all the times she called the cops on me. Oh yeah, you know. Yeah, was she? What, do you think she? Do you think she did? You think she did the right thing? You think she did less she, enablement? She, she did what she she needed to do. Okay. You know, in order for her to be able to um, live and function and be happy, you know. And it, obviously she wasn't happy. She just, like, imagine having to mourn somebody who's still alive, right. you know, because she would tell me, like, I'm planning your funeral. Get away from me. Yeah. You know. Yikes. That's hardcore. Yeah, that's tough. Yeah. But she must have gone to an Allen on me. And then, like, I, would, I remember yeah. when my mom yeah. told me yeah. this. Yeah. And I'd be, like, in the parking lot and thinking in my mind, like, she's such a bitch. Yeah. Like. Like, why can't you just give me 20 bucks? Like, <laughs> to go get high. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's crazy how we get, it's crazy how our minds work, I guess, in those scenarios. It's insanity. We're, we've completely lost touch with reality. We're in that state of mind. In the realest sense of the word, I got a father-in-law and he's a, uh, he's a veteran from Vietnam and he was exposed to chemicals and he okay. believes there's cameras in the ceiling and he believes there's cameras in the chairs and there's people following him and he's not, he's out of his mind crazy. And let me tell you something, when once I start using, I am really no different than him. It might not be paranoia, but I am just as far away from reality as he is. Wow. It's just in a different- What's the different craziest kind of place you ever found yourself? That I've ever found myself? Yeah. Like, oh, what's man. the craziest thing you've ever done or found yourself or just thought, I never thought I'd end up here? Oh, you mean like bottoms, that kind of thing? I mean, you know, I've stolen from my family. You know, I've, I've been in jail a few times. I've been in prison for 10 months. Uh, you know, I've, I've cheated on my spouse. And, uh, you know, it, there's there's just so many, you know, if I if I pulled out yeah. my fourth step, do we know what a fourth step yeah. is here? If I pulled out my fourth step, you know, we could find something on every page. <laughs> You know, that, right. would be, that would be pretty awful. Yeah. But if you really want to know the worst thing that I ever did, it's funny, I was just telling a guy yeah. in my car uh, earlier today, what's the worst thing that I ever did? Uh, I was living in Miami okay. and uh, I got high with this guy. Right. And, um, and what we did was heroin. And he sat back on my couch. He closed his eyes. I took a nap. I woke up a few hours later to go to work. And I tried to wake him up and he couldn't wake up. Now he was still alive. And so I was like, you know, I don't have time for this. I got to go to work. I got to make money so I can get high. And so I called his friends from an apartment upstairs. I said, hey, you got to get, you got to get this guy out of here. Right. And we carried his, 
you know, his, his body out the door and upstairs to another apartment. And he was alive at the time, but he was on the verge of death because when I got back from work a few hours later, the ambulances were there. The cops were at my door. He had passed away. He had overdosed and died. Now, back then, they didn't have those good Samaritan laws that allowed right. you to call the police without any kind of ramifications as far as the person yeah. involved. You know, yeah. they'll get in trouble. Those laws hadn't passed yet. So I, I was scared about that. And I was so selfish and self-centered in my own world, wanting to save my own butt that that wow. I let this guy, who was not a close friend of mine, but regardless, any human being at this point in my life, I don't care what the consequences are. If they're on the verge of death, I'm helping, yeah. right? But back then, I didn't think that way. That's probably the worst thing that I ever did, yeah. you know, under God's laws. Yeah. You still married? I'm still married to a second wife. I got my second wife now. Second Puerto Rican. Second Puerto Rican. <laughs> yeah. well, you know, we live in Orlando. New York Rican or Puerto Rican? <laughs> no, this one's a Puerto Rican from the uh, island. Oh, wow. Yeah. Oh, wow. Oh, wow. That's a, you got to type. You got to type then. Well, when I'm in Orlando, you know. I mean, <laughs> yeah, the are. You know, I are. can't find anything else here. Especially, <laughs> we, we live right here next to Kissimmee. So I don't know, you know what? You're married to a white woman. I don't know where you found her. St. <laughs> <Saint> Cloud. <laughs> just a little bit further. <laughs> and, that, and that was back when St. Cloud was all white. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah. yeah, yeah. You're born in St. Cloud. That's right. Oh, my God. How long have you been married? Uh, to this one since October, so we're going to be celebrating a one-year anniversary on Halloween. Ah, so like, yeah. like this is 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 the marriage been part of getting clean? Has the the marriage has definitely been part of all of my screwing up over the last five years when my addiction got much worse because of the nature of what they're selling out there. It's literally death. Uh, so no. my consequences Crazy. used to be. You know, failed jobs, failed marriages, failed relationships. Then my consequences in the last few years started turning into waking up in an ambulance, waking up in a hospital, waking up being Narcaned in my living room by wow. the uh, by the EMTs. And she was there for all of that. And talk about codependent. She is definitely, I've made her very codependent because of her being around me for so long and not leaving me. Any normal person would have left me Anytime in the last five years. Wow. As a matter of fact, if somebody tells you, if you're dating somebody and they're like, yeah, you know, I'm, I'm, a, I'm an opiate addict and, mm -hmm. and I like to do heroin. That's a, not just a red flag. That's like a red firework. You know, that should blow up in yeah. your face and say, okay, well have a great rest yeah. of your dinner. <laughs> Goodbye. You know what I mean? Goodbye. Good night. But, um, <laughs> Good night. but you know, we're so good at manipulating and we're so good yeah. at making people feel like, you know, like they belong with us and we belong with them that she's stuck around. And she saved my life many, many times. Wow. I have to say that the last seven months, our relationship, as a result of this program and the spiritual awakening that I've had as a result of this program, I have to say that our relationship has never been better. I've never been in a better relationship in my entire life. Yeah. And it's very healthy. And, you know, I still have character defects like... Uh, you know, um, like I still am lustful, right? Is that yeah. the right word? We're in a church, right? Sure. Sure. Uh, so uh, I'm still lustful, you know, and I have even wanted to act on that, like on the verge. But uh, but fortunately, again, as a result of this program and the work that we do to try to improve ourselves one thing at a time, you know, uh, our relationship has really benefited from this program. It's better than ever. Wow. Yeah. Yeah, it is great. It is. How long have you been clean? We haven't asked you any questions. Listen, I... I I'm a I'm a old preacher boy. Like I I'm pretty clean cut. Like my extent of drug use has been uh, eighth grade Virginia Slims. Ooh. <laughs> you ever been high? No. Ever ever. No. Never smoked pot. No. You been drunk? 
No. No, I, I should. Well, gosh, this is great. Oh, man. Okay. <laughs> we got time. Well, we'll put this on. I don't care. I, so this is kind of an it. didn't plan to put this on the podcast, but we'll go ahead and do it. Um, about a year. I, 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 as an adult, I suffer from migraines. So I did get um, I did get my canvas card about a year ago. Um, but I was using like a slow release pill only at nights. Um, cause I would get them and when I'm at night when I would wake up with them. Um, so I did that for like a while. So did it, work? it did work. It did work for a while. I, I, I had gotten to the point where I was taking so much ibuprofen daily that I was getting worried about my heart and like my liver. So I was doing that. Um, I've since pulled back from that just because I got to the place where I didn't feel like I needed anything, you know, I've kind of, I don't know what, I, I, these things can be fixed with diet and stress. Typically it's not, I, I mean, usually it doesn't need all these things, but that kind of got it. jump started for me. So I haven't, I haven't renewed my card and haven't used it. So when I say to you, I've never been high or used pot. I mean, I've never been high or used pot in the traditional way, right? I've used a, a medical pill at night and I've never felt the, I, I've never felt the effects. I've never been like, Oh, let's do this. Let's, you know what I'm saying? So, right. Just because like you never did it just because no, you did no. it because of, yeah, no, no. You needed no. to. So, yeah, I've never. So, did you discover that diet and exercise work on your migraines better than any of the chemicals did? Yes. Uh, yes. It's like with everything, right? Uh, everything. It's everything. Yeah. It's, and, I, I, and I don't want to be dismissive to people who might be listening to this who are on a medication from their doctor. I don't want to be a jerk. I can. I'm not the pastor. <clears throat> yeah, you, I can yeah, say go ahead, whatever I want. Yeah. But I just feel like, <laughs> I feel like what was happening was, it, it, it's very simple for me. Like, there are certain things in my diet that inflame migraines, right? Typically dairy for me. And, um, and then stress levels, right. Which I'm in a pretty stressful job. And so it was one of those things where it was like, I was just like, huh, take out ice cream or I could just take this pill at night and then keep eating ice. But, and then I just was like, this is stupid too. And at some point I just backed off from some of those things. I still get them from now every now and then, but not near as much. I was getting them like. Got to the point where I was almost weekly, so I was like, yeah. "Oh, this is out of control." Yeah, you know what I mean. Be- being on this side of recovery now and and feeling like because I diet and exercise for most of my life, even as a drug yeah. addict, I diet and exercise. Yeah, and like any anxiety I ever had over the years, I treated with exercise. Oh yeah, probably an addiction for me too, but a good addiction. And so these days, and and my wife, she suffers also from anxiety and, uh, and she hasn't taken her Xanax or whatever pills that she's taken because I forced her to exercise with me too over the years. Right. So anytime I hear somebody is suffering from something, the first thing I want to treat them with is my diatribe on diet and exercise exercise, and tell them, Hey, why don't you try this? But that, you know, that comes with a whole lifestyle change. It's very, very difficult to get into It's a lot easier to take a pill. It is a lot easier to take a pill. Whether it's a drug, whether it's an illicit drug or whether it's a drug in in a different form, right? right? Absolutely. Or whether it's Advil. It's just easier to fix it with (laughs) popping a pill when the truth is (laughs) you and I both know that most of the things that ail us are what we're taking into our bodies and what we're taking into our minds. Right. And And then going back to what we were doing when we were young, smoking cigarettes and then eventually smoking weed and then eventually the rest of the stuff and the heavy hitting stuff that we did, you know, at, at an age, as an adolescent now in retrospect, I just didn't know how to handle my feelings and my thoughts, you know, and I didn't have the guidance and the direction I probably needed on how to handle those things. And uh, there's no manual and nobody teaches you, at least where I was, nobody was teaching me like, Hey, you're supposed to feel, you know, this way and you're supposed to feel that way. And so I treated myself with drugs and alcohol and that just became the go-to for everything that I wanted to treat as far as my mind goes, 
you know, and, and I think that happens to a lot of people in this world. You know, the availability of drugs has only gotten worse. It hasn't gotten yeah. any better since we were kids. Oh, it's crazy. You it's know? Better or and no, you're right. And, no, you, and you were right with your earlier you, Depends on your perspective. You were right with your earlier statement, though, because I've buried a lot of people in the past year. I've yeah. done a lot of funerals in the past year, most sure. of them fentanyl related. I sure. mean, it's crazy. Yeah, probably all of them are fentanyl related. It's crazy, as far as crazy, man. Yeah, that yeah. stuff will that stuff will take you out quick, boy. Yeah, yeah. I'm you glad know? I'm glad I'm sober today and and not still out there. Yeah, I'm glad was, for you guys too. For me. Yeah, I mean, like fentanyl, like the size of like. Oh, like a like piece, yeah, 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 piece like, of yeah. rice. Yeah, right, it's right, gonna right. take Small, you out. Smaller bro. than a piece of rice. We'll take you out, dude. Yeah. Here, here's my. Let me give you my theory. You tell me what you think, sure. uh, and you guys can chime in on this too. My theory is, you, you know, you get to this place like you guys are at. You get you get into recovery. You get into a cycle in a season where you're clean. You're taking care of yourself. You're getting off this stuff. You're getting a different perspective. And then if anybody has a relapse, and I've had a couple burial, like a couple funerals I've done for these guys that have relapsed this year, what happens is. In their minds, I think they go back to that relapse and they go back to the way they were taking it sure. a year ago, two years ago, three years ago, whenever they were they, they were using. But their bodies have readjusted to this new like clean you know pattern now, and they go back. They had to work themselves up to that a long time ago, but they go back to it like that, and boom, it's over. Yeah, as a non scientist scientist, I concur with your assessment. That's exactly what happens, and and actually, you know, they have that. Uh, you know, they they teach. Uh, you know, to mitigate uh, overdose deaths, they'll they'll have signs like in New York City in the subways, they'll have signs: never use heroin or never use fentanyl alone. Like that's oh, a wow. public service because they just expect, hey, people are going to do it, so we might as well put some public service out there right. to mitigate this death this death thing. And um, and they'll also teach you when you're coming out of rehab, hey, if you are going to use, remember your body's not used to it. So make sure that you're either with somebody or you take less. You know, that's a thing that they teach wow. people I didn't know who that. are in that world. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I don't know. And it's right on. I thought I'd said. come up with that concept. No. Sorry to burst your Under the silver lining, like um, this book actually talks about us always getting worse, never better. Like, so even in recovery, yeah, under that silver lining of like what's holding us together, yeah, we're crumbling. Like, under, yeah. like we're gonna like like let's say if uh, God forbid, want to use, you know, like I would go back to smoking crack as much as I was from when I when I stopped, right? right. And that was like, what I got was, you to stop? What got you to stop? What got me to stop? Yeah. Um. Honestly, I just wanted the consequences to stop. Yeah, you just like you just got I, tired, like you just got yeah. too beat up, too too worn out. I really, I just yeah, I, I wanted all the not only that, but like um, people in the hood were like pointing guns at my head and saying, <laughs> they were like, "Yo, if you come back over <laughs> here and you ain't got our money, <laughs> we're gonna shoot, you. we're gonna shoot you." Yeah. It's like we leave you stank. I'm like. Okay, I don't know what that means, but I guess a body stinks and a stank means stink. And I'm like, uh, I mean, but yeah, I mean, I was like, I just, you know, I guess I was like, my mom don't want me. The hood don't want me. The streets, I guess don't want me. the streets. The only people who want me are people in recovery. <laughs> oh, man. How about you? What got you to stop? Uh, I was given an option. The option of going to treatment or going to meetings. So you went to drug court? No, um, I had an intervention with my family. Oh, uh, okay. Because wow, I was, that had to be I, I, I was off the fucking rails. Sorry. Yeah. <laughs> we'll bleep it out later. It's fine. Yeah, and um, 
Yeah, they were like, you can either go to treatment or you can go to meetings. And like, I was like, you're not putting me in a box. Oh, really? Your reaction was, your reaction was like, oh, okay, I got it. Yeah, I don't want to be put in a room, padded room, straight jacket, whatever. Yeah, whatever. Like, so like you took the lesser of two evils in your mind. Yeah. You took, you took treatment. And then I was driven to meetings for like the first, I don't know, couple of weeks. And who did the drive? Like who did this? Your mom, your dad? Uh, my stepmom, my sister actually drove me to my first meeting. Oh, wow. And, um, then I started getting rides with people. Did you I jump got, right? Did you jump right in, or were you pretty resistant? Um, I was not resistant because, like, I knew I needed to get better. And like seeing people in the rooms, like picking up substantial clean time, like was inspired. Appe- you? Well, yeah, it was appealing to me. Really? Yeah. So right off the bat, you were like, "Okay, this is real." Yeah. Like, I mean, the first couple of meetings, it was like, womp, 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 like the fucking peanuts. But, like, other than that, like, for the most part, I just dove in. Dove in. Yeah. And then, like, I had a friend in early recovery who's no longer with us. Um, He couldn't stay clean. Like, I mean, get a couple – he'd get a year, get two years, six months, whatever, and, like, he couldn't stay clean. Mm. And, like, he was, like, you could be a, a one-key tag wonder, like, somebody that comes in, gets, gets, a, chip. gets, a, gets a chip or a key tag and oh. keeps it moving. And, like, I've stuck with that. Like, I'm a sucker for titles and keeps it. Oh, you keep, are. Keep, You're a one-chip wonder. Yeah. <laughs> Holy cow. Yeah. For now. Yeah. For now. For today. <laughs> for today. Just for today. Just, Just for, for today. today. That's do, you, cool. do you see guys like um, – do you, I, I I know guys like I I have breakfast with a guy on Friday typically who's uh, hasn't had a drink in thirty something years but he still goes to meetings and I have other friends that went to meetings for a season and then stopped and they they never picked back up active addiction spiritual what do you theme. guys think on that so there's is um, it different for everybody or like so there, there, this book is only suggested right like the the programs are only suggested right, right. we don't have a monopoly on God obviously. Okay. You know, so okay. like, like our whole thing is like finding a spiritual experience, right? Okay. So finding a power greater than you that will solve your problem. So that's what this book does for for me and Avi and whenever Nick wants to, you know. <laughs> Dude, third wheel, bro. He, he, he says that because I belong to the other fellowship. That's all. Oh, I mean, I even, I mean, he's I even the, have the symbol on. He's got the so. diamond. I got the triangle. Okay. okay. Mine's even cooler. Okay. <laughs> do you think there's a little bit of like, do the, do the AA, they're a little stuck up in the AA? They look down on you a little bit? Uh, I don't know. I don't know. Maybe. Yeah. Yeah, like we have a little saying. It's like, A-A, ah, N-A, nah. <laughs> I never heard well, you, that know, you know what's funny, though? Like, my initials are N-A-H. So, I mean. He was not, nah, man. Yeah. I, I, I was, was not all the way. I was destined to be exactly where I'm at right now. Okay. So, yeah. I like No, nah, I still love N-A. I still go to their, their conventions and stuff. And yeah. I, I you know, whenever Nick invites me, I'll, I'll go. But what do you think about if guys? What do you think about guys getting clean, getting to a different place, not active addiction, and then, and then saying, okay, you know, whether it's family, whether it's work, whether it's whether it's church, whether it's whatever, I got I got enough things in my life that that hold me up here, and I, I don't need this particular meeting structure anymore. Do you think that happens? Do you think those those are ticking time bombs? What do you think? Yes. I mean, so like if they're if they're the real thing, yeah. 
They're uniquely qualified to help another sick and suffering drug addict. Ah, uh, I see what you're saying. So, so they like, should be, like, they, they should be given back. They're, like, within, within me, like, I yearn to be able to help somebody who suffered from the same thing I suffered from. Okay. You know, so, like. No, that's a good perspective. I, I hadn't it, thought about that. If I can't help, like, if I go to church and, like, I can't find a drug addict in church that wants to, like, stop using drugs. Right. You know, like. I mean, obviously there there might there may be, but it would be a whole lot easier for me to for, for me to find somebody who wants to stop using. I see what you're saying. So you're you're basically looking at it through the lens of like, hey, if they were really following the steps in the program, they were part of it. Part of that is the is yeah. the service aspect and giving back in the end. Yeah, yeah. I mean, yeah. but like uh, maybe God wants to use them in a different way. You okay. know, so like that's what I, I view it as. Like, if as long as they're being selfless, because in all reality, this is a selfish uh, like we're. It's a selfishness and self-centeredness. We're like we're selfish, run right. So like, right. what the symptoms are are drugs and right. and then. But it traces back to something deep or something more spiritual. Yeah. So okay. like, as long as I can cure my selfishness with selflessness, right? Then eventually I'll. I mean, like I don't. I don't know. I don't know the answers to this universe. <laughs> You know? I don't know all the answers. <laughs> I just I don't know anything, but I just know for 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 myself that this is what has worked for me. You know, like okay. whether they they choose to like, I mean, I highly suggest them not to. But we don't. I don't have a like you don't have a monopoly on God, right? Right. Right. No, like they can find it through um, Judaism or uh, right. whatever. You know, celebrate. What was the, what was the a lot of what was the spiritual paths. aspect for you? Because you said. You know, in this this latest journey, the big cha- game changer was the spiritual component and, yeah. and connecting with something deeper. Yeah. What was it for you? What was it like? What's the spiritual aspect to me? It's it's just a wholesale spiritual experience that okay. I had for the first time in my life. And, you know, I think that all religions are basically a vehicle for a conscious contact with a higher power, with God. Okay. Right? It's almost uncomfortable for, for me to say the word God. It's like a miracle in itself because... You know, I was a militant atheist for most of the last oh, wow, 10, really? 15 years, okay. you know, but um, what I found in AA or what I found through the 12 steps specifically is that it is just a idiot's guide to a spiritual experience. Okay. So, you know, those books like, yeah, uh, yeah. you know, Carpentry for Dummies right, right. or, you know, Chess for Dummies. Yeah. This is spiritual experience for dummies. Okay. Now, coming from a, a Judaism background in order to have a spiritual experience from Judaism, it could be very profound, but you better study for many years. Yeah. Because those lurid, ancient desert texts, they are pretty deep, yeah. you know? And there's mysticism involved. Yeah. And there's stuff that, frankly, as a secular person, in order to jump in there and try to attain a spiritual experience- Just felt unattainable. Felt like a different world. It felt very, very difficult. Now, listen, if you go to New York, you see these guys, they've been studying the Torah, the Bible, the first, you know, the, yeah. they've been studying it for so many years. You know, they're, they're, they're really far along yeah. in, in terms of their spiritual experience. Yeah. But uh, but for me personally, I wasn't gonna. I, you know, I don't have time for that. Right. You know, I'm busy, and I need. <laughs> I got to Yes. And if I'm gonna get my spiritual experience, I gotta get it quick. Yeah. You know, I need like a Dunkin' Donuts drive-through for spiritual experience, and okay. that's what okay. AA offers. That's what the twelve step offers. Right. So what they found was whoever put these twelve steps together, Bill W. Yeah. Doctor Bob, you know, this, Oxford's group. All the yeah, yeah. That's right. It comes the, from an Oxford a, a Christian, Christian group. Yeah. Uh, what they have found was that with 12 simple steps that are very easy for a layman to do, right. that remove religion and especially dogma right. 
from from uh, from thinking by simply doing these acts and these 12 steps you find yourself at a certain point actually having a conscious contact right. with God. Now, and it's not something I can think my way to. It's something I can only act my way to by doing what's prescribed in the program. But the program is very easy. You know, it's not it's not a tall order to do these 12 steps. Right. They're actually really easy. And so now the way I look at it is that, uh, you know, all these religions are a way to God. Right. But I found this way to be the easiest for me. Right. And, and not that I'm denying any religion. They're right. just not for me in terms of jumping on any particular bandwagon because I'm getting my spiritual experience by what it's directing me to do. Yeah. That doesn't make AA my God. My God is the same God that I believe you believe in yeah. and Axel believes in. Maybe not Nick because he's an NA, but... but, uh, <laughs> but uh, no, no, I'm kidding. But, um, Godless but NA I, people. I'm pretty sure God is, is the same God for everybody. We just get to him in different ways yeah. and this is the easiest way I found to God. Yeah, no. and, and that's a great thing yeah. because I don't think that I could have ever stayed clean. I don't think I could have ever gotten clean without a spiritual awakening, without a spiritual experience. And that's the hard part for most addicts to understand is that the solution is not a physical solution. It's not a medical solution. You know, you can't do push-ups enough to get clean. You can't take medicine to get you clean. You can't even sit in front of a psychiatrist. I've never met anybody at a shrink's office who was like, yeah, I was a heroin addict for 20 years, but you know, Dr. Joe here, he taught me how the trauma of my mother's abuse led to my addiction. And now I don't want to do heroin anymore. It doesn't work that way. You know, it doesn't matter how much you know about yourself. You still want to get high. However, a conscious contact with your higher power is sufficient to create what do we call it? To create a psychic change, yeah. an in, effect, in a psychic change, an effect that can that can make you not want to use anymore. Yeah, you know, and, yeah. and that's an amazing thing yeah. to experience, especially at forty six, forty seven years old, and never having believed really in God. In retrospect, I never. I never believed at whatever age I was. You know, I remember sitting in temple saying, look, if God is real, you know what? I curse God right now. Now hit me with lightning, you know, yeah, like yeah. testing. Yeah. Like, you know, yeah. I knew this. Yeah. I knew this. I knew this is BS, you know? <laughs> and, uh, you know, and that carried with me. That manifested into the rest of my life. And, and you know, maybe my disbelief was more sophisticated as I got older. Yeah. But uh, the disbelief was still there. And then to have sort of had this conversion and have it coupled with recovery that it's keeping me sober, it's probably the greatest thing that's ever happened to me. And I have to say, waking up in the morning every day, I'm, I'm tripping on two things. First thing is, oh my God, I don't have to get high today. Like I wake up in the morning, I don't have to run away and get in a car and call a dealer and meet him at a 7-Eleven and go through all the hell that I had to go through just to get my day going in the morning. I'm still tripping on that. But the second thing that I'm still tripping about is I wake up in the morning and I do a prayer meditation. I'm like, wow, I... Me, this person, Avi, became a believer yeah. from an unbeliever. And that's just, you know, probably just two years ago, I was an unbeliever. And today I'm a believer. Yeah. That is still something that's shocking to me. I think, I think what you're saying, I think there's a lot of people probably listening that are definitely a part of a Christian worldview, right? Because th- that's, our, that's our podcast. But I think that they, like, there are some things that you're saying that's, that everybody that's listening is going, well, duh, yeah, of course. Because think about the, the things that you're saying. Like all real... Faith, conversion, whether we call it conversion or repentance or whatever you call it, whatever you call it, and whatever religion, whether you know, it starts with the with that moment where you admit that you need something beyond yourself, and you're like, you got to get to that point. 
You know what I'm saying? Where you go, I'm in need of a savior. I'm in need of something bigger than me. I'm in need of I'm in need of. I never even got to that point. I got to the point where, look, I've tried everything else. So you tell me what I <laughs> should tell try. Me tell I me need. what to do. Yeah. And yeah. one of my favorite lines that my sponsor ever gave me was, "You can't think your way into new action. You have to act your way into new thinking." Right. Meaning, he freed me from having to. Think like, okay, now I believe in God because that wasn't going to happen. That's a trick I can't do. Right. I can't one day say, okay, I don't believe in God, but today I'm going to believe in God. But what he did make me do is do the prayer meditation regardless of what you believe. Right. Do this act regardless of what you think is the result. Right. Keep doing these things and then, excuse me, and yeah. then yeah. see what happens. No, that makes sense. You know? And and those acts is what converted my mind. Yeah. You know? Yeah. That's power now. Uh, the action is actually the, the hardest part for most because, like, whenever I get somebody um, up into doing their four step, right, they're always there's resistance, there's friction, and like, and and it's like I would say it's simple, but it's not easy. It's like what Avi was saying. What he meant to say was is simple, but it's not easy. Doing it is not easy. Yeah, I because of like the feelings within ourselves. Like if it was so easy, yeah, you know, we'd all just done it already. Yeah, but like whenever, uh, let's say, like one of my um, like one of the guys who I'm working with now, like we got to um a part. So like we write down our resentments, and then we got to this um one guy, right? I'm not going to say who it was, but I'm saying it was, we got to his name and he skipped him. He like literally turned the page. I'm like, no, no, hold on. We got to write this guy down. And he's like, bro, I don't want to write him down. <laughs> I was like, what did this guy do so bad that like you can't even write him? You can't even look put at his, his name. name. Can't even put like, his wrote, name on it. He wrote his name and he couldn't look at it anymore. Yeah. It was like, and it's, it's like those feelings that, that block us from like ever wanting to like, it's like those things that we push down so deep inside of us, right? Yeah. They're coming up to the surface. Like the, what that four step does is it, it like, it ties it to a buoy, right? And like, and it was, it was at the bottom of the sea and it ro- like shot yeah. it straight to the surface. Right. And like, we don't know where, like we, we come overwhelmed, overwhelmed with like so, so many emotions that we suppress or heighten our whole lives that like, like it, that's why it makes it hard. Like, and they're like, "How is writing this gonna solve that?" Now, now all I can think about is this this guy who did this thing to me. I mean this without being like super judgmental and not just for your benefits, but it is interesting to me because I've worked in ministry for over twenty years, right? And some of the most raw, unfettered, real spiritual um, transformation. I've seen out of recovery. Um, I think in part because it is so dramatic, right? It's so dramatic to see somebody come from the edge of like wrecking their life to a point of like complete, almost like life resurrection, as you would say. But um, it is funny to me when you work in ministry, there is a thing where like there are people who are, there are people who are having a real spiritual experience and there are people who are having a religious experience. I think those two things are different. And there are people that attend a church and they'll listen to the message every week and do none of it. Not take any of the words of Christ seriously, any of the words of the Torah seriously. They, they're they here. They feel like they're a part of the team, and that's enough. Because their lives don't depend on it. Right. But, but, but the thing is, maybe life and death physically don't depend on it. But the spiritual life and the emotional life still does. And so they'll hear a thousand messages on forgiveness and never forgive that person. Right. But see, when you're in recovery, like, and if you're, if you're taking it serious, you have to do that work. 
And all of a sudden, you have this real experience, real, real experience, like this real spiritual awakening that takes place. And I think a lot of people miss that because they never do the work. They never do any of the things that lead to that spiritual awakening. You should give out fentanyl to your entire. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, there. And then, you know, but no, no, you're, you're, but you're I think no, there's right. reality to that. that I, think, I think you like always like <laughs> you give out the like uh, the the little uh, body of Christ thing. <laughs> yeah. Turn that into a little yeah, fentanyl nah, tablet. Nah, nah, Weeks later, everybody's going to be happy. Like, half the people are yeah. in recovery. Like, <laughs> yeah, half the church is in recovery. I think you bring up, like, you speak to that, that point, right? It's like there's a difference between religion and people going through emotions or joining some, like, cultural thing or team thing or I grew up with this thing and somebody having a real spiritual pursuit, a real spiritual awakening, a real spiritual life that involves real spiritual transformation. Those two things can be very different. Right. And not, yeah, you know what I'm saying? Yeah. And, you know, I I had to be convinced that the spiritual life is not a theory. It says that in that book. The spiritual life is not a theory. Well, you're a walking testimony of that. You're a reality. Today, today. If you would have seen me three, four years ago, you would have said, this guy has never had a (laughs) spiritual experience, let alone living a spiritual life. Right. And, you know, you talk about the people that are, that are in church or they're in a synagogue and they don't have spiritual growth in their lives because they don't follow whatever outside of these walls inside the church or inside the they synagogue. think of attendance even attendance, yeah, attendance of the religion like as their as their like accomplishment right and i'm like that's not their accomplishment and i think a lot of those people they've never had a spiritual experience right. they've never they simply never had a spiritual experience right. and we're just so fortunate you know one of the things i'm actually grateful now and the book talks about it we do not regret the past or wish to shut the door on it i am so grateful now that my life was one big, you know, shit show. I don't know if yeah. you have to, but my life was one big shit show because I would not have this spiritual experience if things went okay for me. Right. And people are okay with okay. Right. You know what I mean? No, so, it's, it's very well said. It's yeah. very well said. It's like yeah. you look back now and you realize it took that to get me to this place and that's okay. That's part of my, that's part of my life. That's it's part of my trajectory. Okay. I'm, yeah. I'm glad for it. Yeah. I'm glad for yeah. it, really. Because this is like... No, this was adding a whole entire new dimension to my life that I didn't know was there. Yeah. You know? Absolutely. Uh, And, uh, you know, at a certain point, I said, okay, you know, physically, I feel great. You know, I think I've... I've mastered my body in terms of what I can do with it, you know, and and, uh, I've I've always had... I met with some success in, in my career, and that sort of fed me mentally. Right. I didn't even know that there was this third dimension to life. Yeah. You know, I didn't know that there was yeah. anything there. Existing without so, ever touching that plane. Yeah, sure. yeah, yeah. So to to discover it and to discover it in such a way, you know, is really an amazing thing. Yeah. All right. Well, we got to wrap it up for today. I appreciate you guys coming in. I would love to continue this. I think uh, we've got more to talk about and some stuff. Maybe we can get together down the road. Let the Chronicles continue. Uh, the Chronicles. Well, that, I mean, that's the joke's name. I, I did not name this disaster. Crackhead Chronicles. <laughs> Crackhead Chronicles. I was like, okay. Here that was we like go. the worst drug ever. Absolutely. Look at this NA guy looking down on you now. I mean, it was. It was the worst. Uh, it was the worst. It was like, all right, hold on. Hold on it was hold on. the best of times. No, it was the worst of times. <laughs> Here, here's my experience with crack. All right, I'm high, right? Where'd it go? <laughs> that, that, that was my experience of crack. Like, it went, literally. It went, at, it went to the hood. And are the police outside? <laughs> yeah, oh my God. Gone quick. Yeah, gone quick. All right, that's as far as we can go for today. Y'all come back and hang out, all right? Absolutely. All right, see you guys.